0: Last week, we started studying Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Uh, We did an introduction to this epistle, and we covered chapter 1 last Sunday. So we will pick up from where we stopped. We'll cover chapters 2 and 3 today. Uh, Just to quickly review a few things, not everything, a few things. Uh, what we mentioned last Sunday, Paul in this, uh, in this, remember that Paul did not write in chapters and verse. He was not telling the scribe, you know, now verse two, right? <laughs> now verse three, no. He wrote one long letter, right? Uh, it was a continuous uh, stream of, uh, of words. He was writing a lot continuous. Let it be broken up in a chapter and verse for us to understand, to communicate, to reference, uh, and so on. So in chapter one, as he began this letter, uh, he, he, he addresses the first issue, which was unity in the church. Uh, he begins to do that, and then he moves in to point them to what is the main thing that we must all be focused on, which is the message of the cross, the gospel, the message of the cross. And he says the gospel, which is the message of the cross, it's the power of God, and it is the wisdom of God. So when you and I are bringing the message of the cross to somebody, we need to understand we are presenting or we are administering God's power and God's wisdom to them. The message of the cross is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. And Paul also recognized, you know, in his audience there are the Jews and the Greeks. He says the Jews seek For a sign, they are spiritual people. They want something spectacular. And we made mention that, you know, time and time again, the Jews would come to Jesus and say, you know, what sign would you give us? Can you do a sign up in heaven? What sign would you give us? So there are the Jews and there are the Greeks. The Greeks are great uh, intellectual people. They seek after wisdom. They're philosophical. They want, you know, uh, they want to know why and how and so on. And he says to the Jews and to the Greeks, we preach Christ crucified. Only one message. The message of the cross. And it meets their need because it, this message is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. It meets everyone's needs. We share that message. So having said all of that, we pick up now in chapter 2. And uh, to look at chapter 2, I've just broken it down into four segments. We just look at it in four segments. Uh, as we go through chapter 2, uh, in uh, chapter 2, was 1 through 5, we emphasizes proclaiming Jesus with power. Then he talks about the work of the Spirit in the rest of chapter two. He talks about how the Spirit unveils the wisdom of God, how the Spirit reveals what God has given to us, how the Spirit imparts the mind of Christ to us. So that's chapter two. We'll cover that and then we'll uh, go into chapter three. So uh, uh, please follow these verses in your Bible. Uh, these The scripture verses will not be up on the screen, just the references and some of the uh, key points, Uh, so we'll need your Bible either on your phone or your print version, however it is, it's fine. If you haven't brought it, just look into your neighbors. Uh, Chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is establishing how he brought the testimony of God. The testimony of God refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, this is how I brought the gospel, the the gospel of Jesus to you. When I came to you, verse one, I did not come to you with great speech or of wisdom. That means my dependence was not on great eloquence. It was not on my great articulation of these messages. It was not on, you know, my dependence was not on human wisdom. Now keep in mind that the Apostle Paul, uh, if you want to uh, you know, relate that, uh, his uh, learning to our times, we could say he was a double PhD. He was a highly educated man. He'd been trained under Gamaliel, highly educated, but he chose not to depend on his human wisdom. Chose not to. And now he said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or on with human wisdom when I brought the gospel to you. But what did he do? Verse 2, as he continues, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. he made an intentional choice to stay focused on the message of the cross and not get into all these debates and discussions which the people at Corinth were so inclined to do. Remember, Corinth was just about 50 miles east of Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of their day. But all the great Greek philosophers, Socrates and Aristotle, all the great philosophers were from Athens. So in their vicinity was the city of Corinth, obviously, under a lot of influence of Greek philosophy. Now Paul himself was a highly educated man. He could debate, he could discuss, he could argue, he could reason. But he intentionally chose not to do that. Why? In order to stay focused on the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a great learning for you and me there. That as we communicate with people, it's very easy to get sidetracked and deviated into you know, trying to uh, discuss this and discuss that. What, what is your opinion on this and what is your opinion on that? And you know, you can have all these opinions discussed. But in the end, if you and I do not present the message of the cross, we've missed the whole point. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we need to be intentional to stay focused. He said, I chose not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. I chose to stay focused on that. Otherwise, he could have just got easily distracted into a discussion and debate on all kinds of things. But he said, No, I chose to do that. Verse three, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Now, if you go, if you look in Acts chapter 18, where, where we have Luke's account of what happened in Corinth, you'll find that when Paul went there, and as we said, his team consisted of Aquila and Priscilla, the Jewish believers who came from Rome, uh, Luke, uh, Silas, and Timothy were also with Paul in in, in Corinth. And as they were uh, establishing this work, as Paul would you normally do, he began preaching in the synagogue. But then he got thrown out of the synagogue. The Jews were against him. He said, "No, you can't do this." Right? And so they were, were really out to get him. So he left the synagogue, he went to the house next door of a man named Justice and he began to continue preaching there. But his life was at stake. And in Acts 18 verse 9 and 10, it tells us that the Lord Jesus himself appeared to Paul at Corinth. And the Lord Jesus himself said, Paul, I want you to keep preaching. I have many people in this city and I want to assure you that no one will hurt you or kill you. So, you know, his life was at stake while he was preaching there. And that's what he's referencing in verse 3. He says, I was amongst you in much fear, in much weakness, in much trembling. Meaning, look, my life was at stake. It wasn't easy. And you're sure there was a lot of pressure because people were out to kill him. So I was like that with you. But he continued serving. He spent 18 months there. Preaching to them. Verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching were were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not stand the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he says the word persuasive there is enticing. He says, I didn't use enticing words to get people to come to Jesus Christ, but I depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. In the demonstration of the power, that means healings, miracles, deliverances, uh, all the mighty things that the Holy Spirit would do. So Paul said, that was what I depended on. I did not depend on the enticing words of man's wisdom. And I don't know who said this, but I think it's a great uh, statement. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. Some of us didn't get it. Let's try it again. <laughs> what you draw them with is what you draw them to. So, and again, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to sound critical or judgmental, but I just want to recognize what's happening. In much of our Christian world today, we have a lot of entertainment happening in church. Why? Look, if you have some good entertaining stuff, people will come back. But if you draw them with entertainment, they'll come back for entertainment. And if they don't have anything entertaining, they'll go to the entertainment center next door. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. I want to Paul say, he said, I minister in the power of the Holy Spirit because I didn't want people's faith to be established in human wisdom. I wanted people's faith to be established in the power of God. Amen. So we don't use Uh, great human wisdom. And I'm not against doing things with excellence. Of course, whatever we do, we want to do it well. Uh, You know, use those things, that's fine. But that's not the main draw for getting people to Jesus Christ. The main thing is the gospel, which itself is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God, which we must proclaim with dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. Expecting the Spirit of God to impact lives with signs, wonders, healings, and miracles, and deliverance. The way the Apostle Paul did it. Are you with me? Now we may say, you know, times have changed. That was the old times. Well... The gospel hasn't changed, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, and people haven't changed. Times have changed, but these three things, gospel hasn't changed, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, people haven't changed. And that's why even today, when we proclaim the message of the cross, our dependence must be on God impact their lives by the power of your spirit. Let the gospel penetrate their hearts. And as a church community, I want us to take this to heart. So when you and I, when we share the message of of the cross with people, where we go. Maybe, you know, you may be speaking to somebody in your workplace. Maybe you may be speaking to somebody you know, in your neighborhood or in the college or in your school. Uh, just depend on this. The message, the gospel is the power of God. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Impact them. Look for opportunities by which you can display the power of God's spirit so that they can encounter the power of God and be touched. Let their faith be established in the power of God, not in the wisdom of man. The next part, verses 6 through 10 of First of, of Corinthians 2, Paul says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. For we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor you hear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So let's understand this. Verse six. He's saying, "Look, but we do have wisdom." So He's not shunning wisdom. He's not saying, look, I I have nothing to do with this. We do have wisdom. But the wisdom that we have is the wisdom that comes from God. It's not the wisdom which the rulers, rulers meaning the chief people, the top-ranking people. He says, it's not the kind of wisdom that these people engage with. He says, because they are coming to nothing. In other words, all these chief, top-ranking people, they are coming to nothing. So they and the wisdom that they espouse... Will amount to nothing. The wisdom that we're talking about, verse 7, is the wisdom that comes from God. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. So he says, the wisdom we're talking about is the wisdom that's coming from God. It's the wisdom that God kept as a mystery, as a secret. Hidden, he kept it veiled, but he has now revealed it to us. For our glory. Now what is this wisdom Paul is talking about? And I'll just cross reference, we won't turn there. But in Ephesians 3 verses 3 to 6, if you look at that passage, the apostle Paul clearly explains that this mystery that he's talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which God has revealed at that time to the apostles and prophets. The gospel which was now going to bring people from all over the world was going to bring them into the kingdom of God. Jews and Gentiles could both be... Partake of the goodness and the blessings that God was releasing through the gospel. So that is the mystery he's talking about. So he says, This gospel, this mystery, it was hidden from the rulers of this age, the chief people, the high ranking, the top ranking people of our time, of our time. They didn't understand this wisdom from God. Because he says in verse 8, If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand it. If they had understood it, they would not have put Jesus on the cross. They would have tried to stop the purposes of God. They would have tried to hinder the cross. Because it's because of the cross that now the whole world can be saved. That the whole world could now experience the goodness and the rich, rich mercies of God. Now that, word, that phrase in, uh, in verse 8 The rulers of this age has a double reference. One, it obviously refers to the intellectuals of our time, of our day, but also refers to rulers as Paul uses it often in context of demonic powers. Like in Ephesians 6.12, he talks about principalities, powers. The word principality is the same Greek root word that he used for rulers, uh, talking about chief angelic, uh, demonic powers. So there's a double reference there. So he says, whether it's people or whether it's demons, if they had known the wisdom of God, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of, they would not let the cross happen because it's the cross that opened the way for multitudes to come in to the kingdom of God. And he says that, God, that wisdom, God kept it as a mystery it was hidden, it was actually planned before time. God kept it hidden and at that time, that is Paul's time, he unveiled it for our glory. So we could now be partakers of all, his excell- all the wonderful things that he's released to us from heaven. Amen. Are you with me so far? Right. And then he says, you know, this is because God works like this. I want you to know something. Verse 9. As it is written, he's quoting from Isaiah 64 verse 4. He says, as it is written, what I have not seen, nor hear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. Such things has God prepared for those who, let me say, look, you love him. This is what God does. He's got mysteries. He's got hidden things for you. But he actually prepared before time. He's got them ready for you. Such things, things which eyes haven't seen, man has not even imagined. Such things God has prepared. He's already thought of it in advance for those who love him. So let's affirm that. Let's affirm verse 9 together. Let's say this together. What eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard, what man has not imagined, God has prepared such things. For me, because I love him. Amen. I say that because it's the truth. It's the word of God. I speak it over your life. Encourage yourself with it over and over again. What eyes haven't seen, what ears haven't heard, what man has not imagined. Such things God's prepared for me because he loves me. That's the mystery of God. For you, it's a hidden thing for you. And and Paul is saying, look, God's prepared such things for those who love him. And then what does he do? Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit judges all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So hey, Paul, how do you have access to the wisdom of God? How do you have access to these, these hidden mysteries, these hidden things? How do you know these things, Paul? He says there in verse 10. God reveals them to us by his spirit. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is God, and he knows all things of God. Amen? So let's acknowledge that for ourselves this morning. Let's say it, or let's pray it. Dear Father, reveal to me by your spirit the things you have prepared for me. Help me to receive revelation of your plans and purposes by your spirit. Amen. So you pray like that. Pray for yourself. Lord, reveal this to me. Because the verse 10 says here, God has revealed them to us by his spirit. God reveals. He speaks to you. Now, verses 11 and 12. The Holy Spirit reveals what God has given to us. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world by the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you're the one, you're the best person, knows you. Your your spirit knows you. In the same way, it is the Holy Spirit who knows everything about God. And he says, we have not received the spirit of the world. We have received the spirit who is from God. For what purpose? That we might know The things that are freely given to us by God. So one of the reasons or one of the works or the purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is for you to know, to receive revelation, receive understanding of the things that God has freely given to you. Amen? Think about it. God has freely given things to you. But you and I need to know about it. And just as an example, think You know, some wonderful ancestor of yours (laughs) gave an inheritance to you and he made arrangements for it to be deposited into your account. It's all there. But if you don't know about it, if I don't know about it, it's of no use to me. It's no good if I don't know about it. So Paul is saying, look, there are these hidden things God has prepared for you and me. Wonderful things. But we need to know about it. How will we get to know about it? God has revealed them to us by his spirit. He has given to us his Holy Spirit that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Amen. So let's affirm that. And, and let's say that over our own lives. Let's say this together. I have received the Spirit of God so that I might know the things God has freely given to me. So don't go through life not knowing what God has freely given to you. No, this is mine. I'm going to walk in it this is what god has prepared for me these are the things which eyes have not seen but ears have not heard which god has planned ahead of time for me i'm going to walk in it because the holy spirit has put that in my heart our god has revealed it to me through his scriptures so it's so important for us to know those things the last section verses 3, 13 to 16 these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So let's look at verse 13 again. He says, look, this wisdom from God, these hidden mysteries, these things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us, these things we communicate with the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot communicate it with natural understanding, with natural words. We need to of the Holy Spirit to even communicate the things that we receive from God." So we speak these things not with natural wisdom, but with the words of the Holy Spirit gives us. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Putting them in context and explaining them with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Because he says in verse 14, the natural man, meaning the sense ruled man. The natural man, the soulish man. The man who lives limited by his five senses. The natural man, he cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, they're foolishness to him and he can't even understand them. there Because you need spiritual empowering to understand those spiritual things. See, the man, the sensual man, the natural man. The man who's living just by his five senses. He will not understand the things that we talk about. The message of the cross. Jesus died for my sins, Jesus conquered the devil. I mean, we talk about these spiritual things, things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The natural man cannot receive it. Because he says it takes spiritual empowering to understand the spiritual things. Are you with me? And then he says in verse 15 But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by No one. The spiritual man. The man who's looking at things empowered by the Holy Spirit. Who is living beyond just the five natural senses. Now look, God blessed us with our natural senses. God blessed us with our intelligence. We use it. I'm not saying don't use it. But we live beyond it. We don't live confined by it. We live beyond it. We do use our natural faculties. But then we live beyond that. So he's saying... He who is spiritual, the spiritual man, he can judge all things. Meaning because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he's able to judge. Meaning to discern, to see into, to investigate, to examine, to comprehend. He can judge all things because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But yet he himself is judged by no one. Meaning he's not judged by the natural man. You see the natural man does not have the capacity to judge the spiritual man. Because a natural man is, limited, to, is living limited by his five senses. By his senses or his soulless understanding. He's living by that. So he has no capacity to judge, to understand, to discern what the spiritual man is saying. Are you with me? Now, so don't get so upset when somebody in your office comes and calls you a fool. You're a fool for going to church or whatever you're doing. Or they call you bad names. Or they say different things about you. Don't get upset. The fact is, the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. Can't understand it. So so what are you saying? You're doing like this. You're doing behavior. He can't understand it. And understand that the natural man is not qualified to judge the spiritual man. He doesn't have the capacity to judge the spiritual man. That's why he says, the spiritual man judges everything, but yet he himself is judged by no one. He himself is not judged by the natural man. So just let it go. Like water off a duck's back. Just let it go when, when the natural man, and people say all kinds of things against you, because you are living by a wisdom that is superior to the five senses. I understand. Now I am not, this is not a qualification for you to go and totally discard natural things. God gave us our natural faculties to use them, right? You don't go out there, close your eyes and say, Lord, is there a car coming or not? I am walking by the Spirit. <laughs> cross the road. Please don't do foolish things. Keep your eyes open, use your eyes. See if a car is coming or not and then cross the road, you know. So please, this is not an excuse. You know, sometimes people can take, take spiritual truth and misapply it and get into trouble. Right? So don't misapply the truth. The truth is we use our natural faculties, of course, but we live by wisdom. A spiritual wisdom that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the natural man will not be able to understand the spiritual thing. And notice how he ends up with verse 16. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who can even instruct God? But he says, verse 16. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. Because of the Holy Spirit, you and I have the mind of Christ. That means you and I have access to the things that go on in the mind of Christ. In his thoughts, his ideas, his his way of thinking, his thoughts, his plans, his dreams, his purposes. We have access to it because of the Holy Spirit. So you see, when you and I, when we need to make decisions, uh, when you and I need to, uh, you know, uh, do a lot of things here on the earth, let's affirm this. You say, I have the mind of Christ. So let's say it now. Get some practice in church. Let's say this. Thank you, God. I have the mind of Christ. By your Holy Spirit, I can receive your thoughts, your plans, your purposes, your mind. So learn to say that. Learn to pray like that. As you're going to make decisions, thought, various things, say, Lord, thank you. I have the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you. You bring the mind of Christ to me. Amen? All right. Moving on to chapter 3. So having having addressed all of this, having shared the importance of the message of the cross and dependence of the Holy Spirit, now Paul goes back in chapter 3 to address the issue he began addressing, which was the unity in the church. So remember in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, he called them to a place of unity. He said, I urge you, brethren. I'm I'm looking at First Corinthians one ten. He says, "I urge you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all be of one mind. You all speak the same thing, that there be no division, no schism amongst you." So that's what he said. I want you know I want you to be like that. I want you to be a people of one mind, or who speak the same thing. You're you know you're together. Now he's going to explain in chapter three how the church can be together. And so we break chapter 3 into four segments as we look at it. Uh, He talks about, in uh, verses 1 to 4, about spiritual and mature believers versus uh, carnal and immature believers. And then he talks about, verses 5 to 10, about us being co-workers with God and with each other. And then he writes about building or doing the work with right materials. And he talks about how envy... Strife and division actually defile God's temple. Now, keep in mind that although we are saying Paul wrote, Paul wrote, Paul wrote, Paul was not writing his ideas. He was not writing what he learned from Gamaliel. No. Paul was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So they are really the words of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And, and so when we read chapter 3, you look at it as this is what the Holy Spirit is saying, and this is how the Holy Spirit is addressing this uh, division problem, this, this problem in the church. This is how the Holy Spirit is responding to that. And it's very important to look at it that way. How does the Holy Spirit address those issues? Verses 1 to 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are you not? carnal. So he's going back, he's addressing the same issue. And he's saying, look, he mentioned in chapter 2, we speak wisdom, but we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now he says, look, Corinthian believers, when I came to you, I spoke to you as little little children. But now, and this is approximately seven years later, you're still like little children. And to make matters worse, you're still carnal. Now on what basis is that Paul call them carnal, and call them immature babies. On what basis? He says, because there is envy, strife, and divisions among you. And what is causing those envy, strife, and divisions? One of you says, I'm of Paul. Another one says, I'm of Apollos. One of you says, I'm of Peter. You're all taking all sides with people. He says, that's a sign that you are immature and you are carnal. Your sense ruled. You're being ruled by your flesh. we strife, division are works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. He said, those are works of the flesh. And he says, look, your flesh rules. So think about this. These were spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost. Uh, I was going to say Bible believers. They didn't have the Bible. (laughs) Uh, These were spirit-filled believers. And yet Paul is calling them. Carnal, and Paul is calling them immature, like we said when we began chapter one, we could come short in no gift, we can come short in no, we can have a no shortage of the manifestation of the spirit, and yet be carnal and be immature. I understand, and so he's saying that. That immaturity, this carnality is one of the reasons why there is all this division. And so what is the antidote? If you and I mature and choose not to be carnal, but be spiritual people, live off the spirit. He says, this thing will not happen. There will be no division in the church. Next segment of how Paul or the Holy Spirit addresses this. Verses 5 through 10. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So now Paul is bringing attention to another important truth. He says, Look, this is how God works. God, in his kingdom, in his work, he uses one man to sow, another man to water, and another man to reap. But all these people are one. We're all one. And neither is he who sows anything or he waters. I mean the importance is not on the person doing their assignment. Because God has given to each one grace and assignment. And each one fulfills their work. And each one receives their own reward from God. But it's neither he who waters, sows anything or he waters anything, but it is God who gives the Increase. So he says, we must understand that. And you know, this is so important. This truth is so important. Because how you and I perceive ministers of God who minister to us. And how we relate to each other based on that. Will determine whether we walk in unity or in division. The problem with them was each one was taking sides. I belong to ABC. I almost APC, but <laughs> ABC ministry. I belong to XYZ ministry. I belong to, you know what, EFG ministry, whatever. I we mean, take sides on, based on these things. Paul says, you know, we are co-workers. We are co-workers. Neither is he who waters anything, neither is he who plants. But it is God who gives the increase. So how we perceive and how we relate to each other based on this is so important. None of that matters. So let's just quickly summarize what he's saying in each of these verses. In verse five, he says, "All of us are ministers of God, and God has given to each one his assignment." Verse six, he says, "You know, some may plant, some may water, but all increase fruit and growth comes from God." In verse seven, he he tells us that we do not exalt the person who plants or the one who waters, but we exalt God who gives the increase. In verse eight, he says, "You know, as ministers, we are all one. We are co-workers. We're in this together." And he also says that each one of us will receive our reward from the master. In verse 9, he says, we're all co-workers. We're God's co-workers. We are all in this together. And then he says in verse 9, God's people are the field. He wants watered and nurtured. God's people are his building that he is raising up. So here's a very important truth for all of us to understand. All true ministry is about nurturing and building God's people. Let's say this together. All true ministry... It's about nurturing and building God's people. You see, if you are doing that, you are doing God's work. If you're nurturing God's people and you're building God's people, you are doing God's work. So it's not about the building, you know, we build, oh, I built 10 buildings. It's not about that. It's about people. The building has its purpose. All these other things have its purpose. They are only serving as tools. But ultimately, he, Paul says, you are God's field. You are God's building. This is very important for us to understand. So some of us, Pastor Celina is trying to get us to serve in children's church. So, no, I will not serve children's church. I will only serve somewhere else. I know if you don't have the grace to serve in children's church, that's, that's a different issue. Uh, but you know, they are people of God's. When you give into their lives, you are doing God's work. Or whatever the context may be. But as you give into people's lives, you are doing God's work. Because Paul says, you are God's fields. You are God's building. People. Are you investing in people? That is building the kingdom of God. That is doing God's work. And so the, the antidote here, the second antidote to, to division and strife is to see that we are all co-workers and we are all here to build God's kingdom and to nurture God's people. We all have a certain part to play and we celebrate each other. Amen? Next section. Continuing with the same thought, verse 11 to 15, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though as through fire. So what's Paul saying? You know, in doing God's work, we are actually building God's building. Like he said, you are God's building. So he's continuing with that same thought. The apostle Paul uh, has been graced by God, verse 10, to lay the foundation. He says, I'm an architect. I lay the foundation. But other people build on it. And he says, be careful how you build on it, how you do God's work. You can build with gold, silver, precious stones, or you can build with wood, hay, or straw. What is this? What is the context here? He's talking about being carnal. He's talking about envy, strife, and division. What are those? Those are works of the flesh. So wood, hay, straw, therefore, would refer to carnal uh, motives and methods. It would refer to fleshly motives and methods. What is gold, silver, precious stones would refer to what is of the spirit. So if you and I build, do our work with fleshly motivation and fleshly methods, we are actually building with wood, hay, and straw. So, you and I can do good things with wrong motivations. You find that in scripture. You can do good things with wrong motivations. Oh, he preached five sermons, I will preach six. Well, it's good to preach sermons, but your motivation is competition. Wood, hay, Strong. You go to heaven, Lord, I preach six sermons. Let's test it. <sniffs> gone. Sorry. It's all gone. Why? But Lord, I preached six sermons. Each was two hours long. And all they had of the Hebrew and the Greek, and I expounded very well. People clapped after I preached. Yeah. But people didn't see your motive. I saw it was fleshly motivated. Sorry. But he says, you know what? Your work will be burnt, but you will be saved. Right? I mean, it's it's not, you're not going to lose your salvation. It's just that we won't get a reward if we build with wood, hay, and straw. Are you with me? So all of us, many of us, are serving God. We are working, we are building, we are, we are nurturing people, we are building God's building, wonderful. But please be careful on the motives and the methods. That they shouldn't be carnal, they shouldn't be fleshly. Be motivated by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Otherwise we'll all be clapping for you when we get to heaven and the works are tested by fire. And if nothing remains, <laughs> it will be a big disappointment. You might, might have been the chief volunteer at ABC. But if the motive was not right, it's a fleshly work. So we got to be very careful. Amen. And you go to the last section there, chapter 3. He says, He's considering the same context, so everything has to be put in that same context. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. But the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. It is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So, what is he saying? He's he's highlighting another very important truth. He says, Look, I want you to know that you are the temple of God. Now, Here in this context, he's not talking about the individual, he's talking about them as a local church. Now, in chapter 6, he repeats the statement, but he's talking about the individual. But now, he's saying, You, we as a church, we are the temple of God. So, you see, we are the temple of God. Uh, Well, let me repeat again. We are the temple of God, that means we are God's dwelling place. And he says, In this context, he says, The temple of God is holy. It's got to be kept clean. If anyone defiles the temple, how do you defile the temple? What's the context? Being carnal, envy, strife, division. Are you seeing the context? So when we are being carnal, when we are uh, uh, engaging in envy and strife and division in the house of God, because of Paul or Apollos or Peter and all of that, he says, look, you are defiling the temple of God. Do we understand that? So that's the temple of God. So don't allow God's temple to be defiled. Keep these things out. Keep envy, strife, competition, the flesh out. Keep carnality out. Keep it out. Don't defile the temple, the house of God. We are the house of God. We are the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. So he says, you know, don't let any, verse, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. You know, don't deceive yourself. I mean, if you, he says, look, if, 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 if you think you've, you know, you're wise in this age, you've got the wisdom of this world, count it all as nothing. Just think of yourself as nothing so that you can receive the wisdom from God. And then he says, verse 21, therefore let no one boast in man. Let no one boast in man. Let me repeat again. Let no one boast in I mean, don't boast. And the context is don't boast in the ministers of God. So don't go around and say, which church you go to? I go to Ashes Righteous Church. Please. Please. That is the biggest disappointment. Please don't talk like that. Let no one boast in. No, I mean, we have a name. We call ourselves APC. But I just want to let you know APC is not in heaven. (laughs) It's only here. (laughs) Amen. We all belong to one church, Jesus Christ. So let no one boast in man. It's not about Paul or Apollos or Peter. It's not about that. He says, look, anyway, all things are yours. Whether it's Peter or Paul or Apollos, all of this God has given to you to bless you as his temple, as his dwelling place. All for you. And we all belong to Christ. We all belong to God. This is all for us and we all belong to him. Amen. So to sum up, in chapter 3 is this, the antidote to division in the local church. Four things we'll reiterate. First, we need to be spiritual and mature instead of being carnal and, and immature. Second, we need to understand that we are all co-workers with God. They're co-workers, you know. Each one has their assignment. Some may plant, some may water, some may reap. Uh, Each one has grace given to them. God has given assignment to them. But we are all co-workers. And it is God who gives the increase. That means God is the one who gets the honor for the fruit. Third, we choose to build with the right materials. With spirit empowered. Spirit-motivated materials, not with fleshly, carnal materials uh, of envy, strife, division, all that. No, because if we build like that, it's wood, hay, and straw. It'll just burn. It won't stand the test of God. So you choose to do that. You say, God, give me my motive right. I want to do it right. I'll do my work, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number four, understand that envy, strife, division, carnality defiles the temple, so keep it out. Keep the temple of God holy. That we all choose to keep God's temple holy. Lord, I want to keep this temple holy. I'm keeping envy out. I'm keeping strife out. I'm keeping division out. Because this is your temple. And if we all operate with that understanding. You know what? We will be your people of one heart and one mind. As Paul requested in verse 10. He said, I urge you brethren, be of one mind. One heart, one mind. You all say the same thing. You all be together. Let there be no divisions among you. Amen? You see, the Holy Spirit himself is addressing the issues in the Corinthian church and, and, and speaking to the people there uh, uh, through the Apostle Paul. Amen. Let's just take a few time, moments here to just wait on the Lord. I call our worship team up, please. Let's rise to our feet. I want you to take some time just to let God's word sink into your heart and then pray about any of these things that you've heard. I know there's a lot of truth here in these two chapters that we've covered. He talked about how we bring the message of the cross. We bring it by the power of the Spirit. He talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in in revealing the wisdom of God to us, in revealing the purposes of God to us, in revealing the mind of Christ to us. You can pray about that. He also spoke to us in chapter 3 on how we can maintain unity, how we must understand that we need to be spiritual. And mature. And we need to understand we're all co workers with God. We all have a part to play according to God's grace, but we need each other. And we're actually serving the same God. We must understand that when we do our work, we have to do it inspired by the Spirit. Our motives and methods must be from the Spirit of God and not from our flesh. And we must all understand that this is God's house. So we must keep envy, strife, division, anything of the flesh out. Let the temple of God not be defiled. Let's take a few moments to pray. Let God work in our hearts by his Spirit. Spirit of God, we depend on you. And even as we stand here, this morning, having heard your word, Father, confirm your word to each one of us. Confirm your word with signs, wonders, miracles in each of our lives. Let people receive revelation. Let clarity come concerning your purpose, direction. Let even people receive, Lord, insight into the things you prepared for them. What eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard. Let that come. That hearts come alive with revelation. Holy Spirit, do your work. And Lord, you, O oh God, are our focus. All things are yours.
1: Jesus, my beloved Savior, everything I am I owe to you, owe it all to you. You are my world, you are my God. I guess from you I pray I'd use them as you want me to
0: we just pray that you will have your rightful place in each of our lives. Let no man, let nothing else take that place in our lives. In us as a church, that Christ and Christ alone be the center of everything that happens here, May all of us be focused on you, oh God. Not on Peter or Paul or Apollos. Not on any man. But just on you, Jesus. We thank you, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. By your word, By your spirit. Thank you. We bless you, Father. We honor you. Father, I just pray that each one of us, as we walk with you, will know the riches of your inheritance that you've given to us, things that you've prepared from before the ages for our glory, for us to be partakers of, that we will walk in it. I speak over every person here declaring wholeness of spirit, soundness of spirit, soul, and body. I declare blessing over their finances, over their relationships, their homes, their families. That every aspect of our lives be touched by your goodness and your mercy. By your blessing. We thank you, Father. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play Stores.